ಅಹಂಕಾರಾದಿಕಂ ಅದಂಬಿತ್ವಂ ಅಹಿಂಸಾ ಕ್ಷಾಂತಿ ಆದ್ಯಂ ಆಚಾರ್ಯೋಪಾಸನಂ ರೆವರೆನ್ಸ್ ಫಾರ್ ದ ಟೀಚರ್ ವರ್ಷಿಪಿಂಗ್ ದ ಟೀಚರ್ ಆಚಾರ್ಯೋಪಾಸನಂ ಮೆಡಿಟೇಷನ್ ಅಬೌ ದ ಟೀಚರ್ ಓ ವರ್ಷಿಪಿಂಗ್ ದ ಟೀಚರ್ ಆಲ್ಸೋ ಈಸ್ ಒನ್ ಆಫ್ ದ ಇಂಪಾರ್ಟೆಂಟ್ ವ್ಯಾಲ್ಯೂಸ್ ಇನ್ ಪರ್ಸ್ಯೂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ನಾಲೆಜ್ ಫಾರ್ ಪ್ರಿಪರೇಷನ್ ಫಾರ್ ದ ನಾಲೆಜ್ what is meant by worshiping basically the reason is that teacher becomes a role model for the disciple it is from this standpoint that in the olden days in india the disciples used to live with the teacher they were antevasinah they were always living with the teacher and they would learn from the teacher not only in the classroom but they would learn from the teacher from the person that the teacher is and so the teacher becomes like an ideal role model for the disciple to mold himself and that is what is meant by worshiping the teacher gain tuning up with the teacher so in order for the communication to take place there must be a tuning up between the teacher and the student what the student basically requires is what to call shraddha lord krishna says shraddhavan labhate gnanam one who has a shraddha or a trust in the teacher this is one who gains a knowledge one who has a shraddha the trust in the teacher as well as in the scriptures shastrasya guru vakyasya satya buddhya avadharana so one who has a trust in the statement of the scriptures as well as in the words of the teacher meaning the one does not look upon them as separate that is that is when the teacher becomes really a link between the scriptures and the and the disciple <coughs> so this tuning up is what is required that is what is meant by upasana upasana means meditation and meditation means tuning up with what it is that i am meditating upon identification identifying with the object of meditation and so so an identification on the part of the student with the teacher and then the teacher student will become like the teacher so this is the whole idea of acharya upasanam and so lord krishna says in the bhagavad gita ತದ್ವಿ ಪ್ರಣಿಪಾತೇನ ಪರಿಪ್ರಶ್ನೇನ ಸೇವಯಾ ಉಪದೇಕ್ಷಿತೆ ಜ್ಞಾನ ಜ್ಞಾನಿನ ತತ್ವದರ್ಶಿನ ಹೇ ಅರ್ಜುನ ಮೇ ಯು ಅಪ್ರೋಚ್ ಇಸ್ ವಾಯ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದಿ ಲರ್ನ್ ಎ ಟೀಚರ್ಸ್ ತದ್ವಿ ಪ್ರಣಿಪಾತೇನ ಸೊ ಅಪ್ರೋಚ್ ದ ವಿತ್ ಪ್ರಣಿಪಾತ ಲಾಂಗ್ ಪ್ರಾಸ್ಟ್ರೇಷನ್ ಪರಿಪ್ರಶ್ನೇನ ವಿತ್ ದಿ ರೈಟ್ ಕೈಂಡ್ ಆಫ್ ಕ್ವಶನ್ ಸೇವಯಾ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ವಿತ್ ಸೇವಾ ಓರ್ ಸರ್ವಿಸ್ ಟು ದ ಟೀಚರ್ ಸೊ ಪ್ರಣಿಪಾತ ಸೇವಾ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಪರಿಪ್ರಶ್ನ approaching the teacher with long prostration which is the indication of the shraddha or the faith that the teacher now places himself at the disciple the disposition of the teacher he is a trust that here is a teacher means a spiritual guide and so he has a trust that he will be able to guide me and help me to reach my destination the very often therefore in india the teachers are also compared to a boat just as a boat is the means of crossing the river and so also the teacher becomes a means of crossing as though this ocean of samsara and lots of things are said about the gurus in india lots and lots because in fact a great saint whose name was kabir he is his very famous statement is there guru govind dono khade he says that both of them are standing before me my guru also is there and govind the lord also is there so guru and govind the teacher and the lord both of them are standing before me kaako lagu paaye who should i salute first who should i salute first should i salute my guru first or should i salute my even the lord first 
says balihari guru apke govind dio dikhaye says oh guru my teacher it is by your grace only that i could see the lord and therefore you deserve the first prostration and therefore they even look upon the guru as greater than god this is this is an emotional thing no doubt about that but then every relationship always involves a certain emotion so this is how the guru is placed at a very high pedestal sometimes he is placed at a pedestal higher than even god because god is someone who is remote someone who i do not see and therefore it's it is a matter of you know shraddha or faith whereas guru the teacher is right there in front of me and therefore i can relate to him never some people look upon him as god as i say and this is how they worship him we don't have to do that i mean we don't have to look upon guru as god and and worship him but then the idea is that a recognition the fact that this kind of identification is required for the teacher then alone what the teacher says will be received by me in all the trust and my mind is open to to grasp what is being said to me without questioning and so listening to the teaching with an unquestioning mind so with a mind that wants to understand and not unreasoning mind but unquestioning mind so sometimes the mind questions i mean how can he say that what is you know therefore when he question then the mind is not open and so listening with an open mind not that we ne- we should necessarily swallow whatever it is that is told to us because vedantins don't like the students in simply to 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 swallow whatever they are told in fact whatever it is that we and i mean it should pass through the scrutiny of our understanding no doubt about that but in order that we understand we first of all give it at least have the respect that whatever the teacher says must be all right it must be right let me see in what way it is right because very often it happens that uh, what the teacher says contradicts my present understanding and that is why this communication becomes a little difficult here the subject matter of communication is my own self as far as what we call apara vidya is concerned as far as the knowledge of the objective sciences or objective objects is concerned then what i want to know is something different from me that can be objectified and that being the case it is very easy to relate to the teacher whereas here the subject matter is my own self and i have all kinds of notions and conclusions about myself and vedanta in fact is a whole process of only destroying the notions ignorance brings about all kinds of notions or conclusions about myself a judgment about myself and vedanta in fact takes each one by one these notions for scrutiny and see whether it is right valid or not and if the notion is not valid then i should have openness to drop it and that can happen when i am identified with the teacher that means i look at my own self also from the eyes of the teacher that's how that is what is meant by surrendering to the teacher just as arjuna also handed over the charioteership or the drivership to lord krishna meaning that you drive the chariot and lord krishna also looks at arjuna so on you know in we find that he is holding the reins with his left hand and looking at arjuna with this gnana mudra but what it means is that <coughs> that there is an when the identification is there with the teacher then i am not identified with my ego <coughs> and then ego itself can be scrutinized objectively 
What is important here and anywhere in process of gaining knowledge is to be objective about what it is that I want to know. To be objective about my own self, meaning the ability to create distance with myself, with my, from myself. Ability to create distance from my own ego. Ability to create distance by, from my own uh, notions and conclusions. And scrutinize them whether they make sense or not. And that is possible when I look at them from the eyes of the scriptures. And teacher is nothing but the embodiment of scripture. And therefore, when I look at my own notions and conclusions from the eyes of the teacher. And that becomes possible when there is an identification of the teacher. And that is possible when I have the trust, shraddha and bhakti, devotion for the teacher. <coughs> it is only from that standpoint that this is being said. It is not to really uh, propagate some kind of a, you know, pers- the cult, you know, personal cult or something like that, or gurudam or something, but you understand how the knowledge takes place. The knowledge of the self takes place when I recognize ignorance as ignorance, when I recognize the notions, false notions as false notions. And for that, I must be objective with reference to my own notions and conclusions. This is called ego. What is ego is nothing but the bunch of all these notions and conclusions and judgments about myself. And I can be objective provided I create a distance with them. And I can create distance when I am standing at some other platform, which is the platform of the scripture. And here the teacher. And that is possible when I identify with the teacher. And so, creating an identification with the teacher. This is what is meant by Acharya Upasaram, worshipping the teacher, serving the teacher, meditating upon the teacher is to slowly and slowly discover an identification of the teacher. <coughs> Acharya is a, Acharya means teacher, Hitopadeshta, teacher. So they explain this word Acharya. Achinodhi Shastrani or Shastrasam. So one who has collected many scriptures, many who is well informed with reference to scriptures. Acharya sthapayatyapi swayam acharyastu. So here is a person who is well versed with the scriptures, Swam Acharadeyastu, and one who puts them into his own practice. Acharistapi, and one who makes other people also practice that. So here are the scriptures. They are not merely, so as far as the teacher is concerned, he doesn't merely have an academic knowledge of the scriptures, but for whom the scriptures is a reality, meaning that one who has known the scriptures and who practices what the scriptures are teaching. And one who helps other people also to put that into practice. So Acharya, the teacher, must have the capability of communicating as well as helping, guiding and helping others also to be able to imbibe this teaching. Because the whole idea is that the teacher wants to see the disciple also become like him. As Swamiji would explain that this process of communication is like lighting one lamp from the other lamp. So when you light one lamp from the other lamp, then the second lamp also is as complete as the first lamp. And similarly also, passing on the knowledge also is that like that, that in fact the teacher wants to convert the disciple into another teacher, or like him. And that's the reason why Shankaraja says in one place, praising his teacher. He says, I do not find any comparison. I do not find any comparison to describe my teacher in the whole three words. I search everywhere. I search the earth, I search the middle world, I search the heavens. I do not find anything that can really compare with my teacher. My teacher is so great. 
Here there are so many great things in the world. Somebody suggested, how about a philosopher's stone? Because philosopher's stone is a great thing. So when it touches a piece of iron, that iron is converted into gold. So it is said about the philosopher's stone. Whether such a thing is there or not, I do not know, but this is what is said. There are many things said in the mythology which are very interesting concepts. Like there is this bird called Swan or Hamsa. He has a capacity to separate milk from water, you know. So nice things. There is also the concept of what we call the Kalpataru or wish-fulfilling tree. So if you stand under the tree, whatever wish arises in your mind, these are nice things, you know. Whether such things are there or not, I do not know. But then, similarly also we have this philosopher's stone. That means there is a stone which, which converts the iron into gold. So how about that? Isn't your teacher really, uh, isn't this philosopher's stone also, is it not a good comparison for your teacher? Because teacher also converts the students, to totally brings about transformation in them. Then Shankaracharya says, ah, that's right. The philosopher's stone is indeed a good comparison, but not adequate comparison. Because the philosopher's stone only converts iron into gold, but cannot convert iron into another philosopher's stone. Whereas my teacher is the one who converts, all those who take refuge unto him, who converts them, makes them like him. Sriyam samyam vidhate. So he makes them equal to him, similar to him. And thus, as I said, lots of things are said about the, about the teachers. And they are said on the part of the students who have gained that grace of the teacher. What we require is the favor of the teacher, the grace of the teacher. Prasannam tamanuprapya prachet jnatavyamatmanaha When you find that the teacher is pleased with you, then approach him with proper question. So please him, make him favorable to him. Become the recipient of the favor or grace of the teacher. Swamiji is pleasing the teacher. Do we have to flatter him, bribe him? What do we have to do? Well, pleasing the teacher means they are supposed to be pleased anyway. They don't, they don't have an agenda, they don't have any need and therefore I don't think some, anything should be required to please them. But still, make them favorable to me. Meaning that impress the teacher with my own sincerity. Because people approach these Mahatmas or great souls from various things. It is not that everybody always goes to the, the, uh, this, the you know, this, this great people merely for knowledge. They go for many material gains also. But then, when the teacher gets impressed that here is a one who wants to really learn, that's the only agenda he has, then he gets mighty pleased and therefore, you have to make it known to the teacher that you are a jignasu, you are a seeker of knowledge. And when the teacher finds that you are a sincere seeker of knowledge, then all his grace or favor is available to you. His favor is always available to everybody, but we have to tap it. Tap the grace, you know. So Swami says, tapping the grace. And this tap the grace of the teacher. And this is called Upasanam. How do I tap the grace of the teacher? By, by serving him, by worshipping him. <coughs> Swami teachers also require service, they don't require service. But as I say, it is for our own good that we do that. <coughs> and so, serving means what? When can you serve somebody? When you really meditate upon that person. To serve somebody, we must know what the requirements are, what the likes and dislikes are, and therefore, identify with those likes and dislikes, letting go of your own likes and dislikes, and identifying the likes and dislikes of the one whom you want to serve. 
And that's how this student slowly and slowly gets transformed and becomes like the teacher. <coughs> so that's the whole idea of Acharya Upasanam, worshipping the teacher, revering the teacher. <coughs> and, and the teacher then can do his job. Even though the teacher may do the job, the student may not necessarily benefit to the full extent if that kind of relationship is not established. So on the part of the disciple, there is this Shraddha, the trust and Bhakti devotion. And on the part of the teacher, there is this care and concern, compassion and the patience on the part of the teacher. Of course, the teacher has that. He has the patience, he has the compassion, he has the care, he has the concern on one side and the devotion and the faith and enthusiasm and desire to know on the part of the student. If such a wonderful combination takes place then, of course the communication will be very effective. And therefore, as we said, in the context of the pursuit of knowledge, this value is given. And all we are interested in is the knowledge for the knowledge to take place. And knowledge can take place when my mind grasps what it is that the teacher is telling me. And the mind can grasp when it has a proper disposition, which disposition in fact is, is achieved by what we call upasanam or worshipping the teacher. And that is why this important value is given here. <coughs> so, Acharya Upasanam. The next one is Shaucham. Shaucham is cleanliness. That's also a value. That's interesting. Cleanliness is a value. So, this cleanliness is twofold. One is external cleanliness. Other is internal cleanliness. Twofold cleanliness. What is external cleanliness? Cleanliness of the body, of the clothes, of the things around me, of the place where I work, the place where I live, the cleanliness. And so I'm sure that we don't have to teach that to anybody because in a civilized society there is a value for cleanliness. But there's not a value for true cleanliness, not just appearing clean, you know, not by spraying stuff and things like that, but there must be a value for cleanliness. Because when the body is clean, it affects, you know, it has an influence on the mind. A clean body has an influence on the mind. And otherwise also, so body has an influence on the mind. That's the reason why they always prescribe bath. And people are generally prescribed to take bath at least twice a day, sometimes three times a day, every Sandhya, but at least twice a day. Because when you take in that full bath, then the body is clean and body is fresh, and it also imparts a freshness to the mind, and that's the reason why this is recommended. <coughs> Also the clothes must be clean, every time you take the bath, put on the new clothes, fresh clothes. So at least, at least while doing meditation, worship, etc., there must be this fresh clothes so that the mind also enjoys that freshness. And so, that is the external cleanliness. Also a value for cleanliness is the place where I work, you know, uh, keeping my table alright, my desk alright, my things alright, my room alright. You go to typical, uh, I mean, room of typical teenager these days, you know, and that will be interesting, you know, what is meant by avyavastha, what is meant by disorder, if you want to see that. Go typically to the room of a teenager. Amazing! I just cannot imagine how this person lives here. There is not a spot, there is not a square inch of space where you can stand. The clothes are lying here, the books are lying, the thing is just lying there. Where do you stand? What do you do? I think tiptoeing in some way they must be finding the place. It's amazing. But then, I guess the external disorder perhaps also is an indication of the disorder that is going on in the mind also, perhaps, you know. 
and external order also is a, a, a reflection of the inner order and therefore keeping order outside of myself will bring about also a, an order in the mind and therefore keeping things in order everything in order sometimes people go overboard with that you know a friend of mine every evening he would come home and spend 45 minutes you know, keeping everything in order even though his wife has kept everything in order but he is not satisfied he will keep everything in order and put everything you know in the proper place like that and so well but basically a value for having things in order <clears throat> also when we are talking about outer cleanliness we should also speak about the cleanliness of the food because the what we eat also affects our body as well as affects our mind and so we find in the Bhagavad Gita in 17th chapter Lord Krishna talks about three kinds of food Sattvic food, Rajas food and the Tamas food so too hot and too sour and too bitter anything too salty everything too much this is the Rajas that is the food that is stimulating food agitating food and bring in its wake diseases and leftover and stale and stuff like that you know and, and, and stinking that kind of food is all the Tamas food that makes the body mind very slothful and inert and what we have the sattvic food so sattvic food is that which brings about a tranquility of the mind so uh, the important thing is the question is Swamiji uh, what's the relevance of this vegetarian food in my life apart from various reasons that we give in terms of non-violence in terms of scientific reasons and so forth health reasons but as far as the spiritual pursuit is concerned an important reason is the state of mind because food has an immediate effect upon the mind also Chandogya Upanishad says that the food that you take eat a food that you consume the grossest element of that food is rejected from the body the middle element of the food goes into making about flesh etc and the subtlest aspect of the food subtlest part of the food goes into nourishing the mind and so they say that mind is a modification of food annamayami somya manaha so the teacher says oh somya oh good looking one the mind is annamayam modification of food and therefore food becomes very important to keep the body also clean as well as mind also clean it is not that food is the only thing but then it is also one of the things and therefore being careful about the food and when we talk of food we consume food through the mouth but we also consume food through many other things we see things also all the sense organs also we see stimuli from all the sense organs so we hear things we read things we see things we touch things we smell things we taste things all of these also can be included in food which is consumed by us and all of this has the influence upon our mind what I read what I see what I touch what I smell what I taste what I talk all of these has influence upon the mind and therefore one should be careful about what kind of stimuli are going into one's mind stimuli from all the different uh, contexts and therefore one should be alert about contacting things at the level of sense organs also this is pertaining to what we call the external cleanliness this is the bahya shaucham external cleanliness other is and more important what we call internal cleanliness that's more important what is meant by internal cleanliness the cleanliness of the mind so what is meant by unclean mind 
What is meant by impurity of the mind? The impurities that is called impurity of the mind which disturbs the mind. Whenever a given kind of a thought arises in the mind, if that disturbs my mind, if that creates a conflict, if it makes me unhappy, if it creates a distraction, then this is what we call the impurity of the mind. And when the mind is impure, naturally I don't have the capacity to focus my mind because mind is disturbed, mind is unhappy. So these kind of thoughts which arise in the mind are called impurities and therefore we should be also committed to the purity of the mind. Like in our day-to-day activities or day-to-day interactions, some spot comes on the you know clothes, so walking along the uh, path one day something drops on the tree, you know, something happens. Some bird is dropping or some fruit falls, something falls. Drinking, sipping your tea, sometimes the tea also, you know, spills on the, on the clothes and these kind of things happen. Or you may sit somewhere and then you find that the clothes are stained. So sometimes stains on the clothes, sometimes some dust also comes. All these kind of things come in our day-to-day life and how we are always careful in removing those things. We know very well that when a tea stain gets on my, on my clothes, if I do not remove it right away, if I let it just stay there for two, three days, it becomes very difficult to remove it. When it is fresh, it can be removed very quickly. And also like uh, these cobwebs and things, you know, in the rooms, if you don't pay attention to the room, then if you go there after six months or eight months, we find how many cobwebs are there. And so, as even the cobwebs are made, immediately remove them. So. This value of keeping things clean. So just as we do that as far as external cleanliness is concerned and similarly also this kind of spots of impurities they do happen or they do take place in our mind also. <coughs> and so while talking to people sometimes you know somebody says something which I find insulting. Somebody says something which I find humiliating. So sometimes I'm hurt, sometimes I'm insulted, sometimes I'm humiliated. Or looking at somebody, sometimes jealousy arises, sometimes aversion arises, sometimes dislike arises, sometimes hatred also arises. It just arises and goes away. So thus, in our day-to-day interaction, these kind of what we call undesirable thoughts or negative thoughts which have a disturbing tendency in the mind, they do take place. If you do not pay attention to them, and if you just allow them to accumulate then, it is like not attending to the stain of the tea on my clothes and thus it becomes more difficult to remove that and similarly also when this kind of tendencies which we call impurities when they arise in our mind and if you are not attentive and not alert in removing them there and then then they have a tendency to accumulate and then it becomes very difficult to get rid of them because when a given thought is entertained again and again and again then it gets into deeply rooted in me and then it controls me. So Ram Krishna Paramahansa used to compare the mind with a, a copper pot. Some of you who may be performing puja might know the nature of this copper pot. You know they have this kalasha, they have this pot for filling water which they use for worship. This copper is a ten, naturally ten, it gets oxidized. And to clean it you usually require a tamarind or something sour. Tamarind, if you use tamarind and salt and then clean that surface, immediately the surface shines like gold, you know. So copper starts shining like gold. What you need is some tamarind and 
put a little salt also. When you do that, it starts shining. How long? For, ha- for a few hours, then again it starts getting oxidized. And next day if you see that, again it has gathered some spots. Again you clean it. And just as a copper pot requires cleaning every day. Otherwise, this sparse oxidization will keep on accumulating and then it may become very difficult to remove them if you don't attend to it for, for maybe a month or two. And similarly also the spots that arise in the, on the surface of our own mind should also be removed. Otherwise, they'll get accumulated, they'll become deeply rooted and they will control the tendencies of our mind and we will find it rather difficult to get rid of them. So this process is called Shaucham. The inner, this process of all the time cleaning the mind is called inner cleanliness. What's the matter? So what's that tamarind? I mean it's alright, we reference the copper part, you use tamarind, you know. What do you use in terms of, tam- what is the tamarind for cleaning the mind? So here it is said here, So pratipakshabhavanaya ragadimalanam apanayanam shaucham Pratipaksha Bhavana. So this is a method that Yoga Shastra prescribes Pratipaksha Bhavana. Quite well known to all the students of Vedanta. Pratipaksha Bhavana. Paksha and Pratipaksha. Paksha means a position. Pratipaksha means opposite position. And they were deliberately creating or deliberately taking the opposite position. Understand that whenever any disturbing thoughts arise in my mind, that is because I have taken a certain position with reference to the one with whom I am contacting. For example, when jealousy arises in my mind, when I meet somebody who is more accomplished than I am, who is more learned than what I am, or more wealthier than I am, or more successful than I am, then usually the reaction that arises in my mind is one of jealousy. The internal burning that takes place when I see somebody progressing, you know, and so this is uh, unfortunate, but this is what happens to everybody. Jealousy. So, this is one position I have taken. On account of looking at that person in a certain way, jealousy has arisen. Because he is progressing. He is going ahead of me. He gets more recognition than I... Whatever I have, I have value, when I find that that person is more of what I value than what I have, then usually the response is one of jealousy. Then, what is Pratipaksha Bhavana? So, when one standpoint is accepted by me, then jealousy arises. Then, you, I deliberately take the opposite standpoint. Opposite standpoint is, when I see somebody really doing well, when he has, and that person has, much more of what I value. Suppose I value for learning and I find that person very learned, Suppose I have value for recognition, I find that person much more recognized. Then either jealous you or I can congratulate him. I can be happy. I can congratulate him. How would I feel if I had that accomplishment? Oh, I would really be happy. I would congratulate myself. All that. Congratulate that fellow. Be happy that he is accomplished. And thus, this spirit of congratulation, spirit of being happy at the progress of somebody else, is a spirit that is opposed to jealousy. And so, I deliberately make my mind take the opposite standpoint. Like every coin has two sides. When I look at it from one side, then I see it one way. When I look at it from other side, I see it the other way. Or other than that, the this, this famous example of a glass that is half filled. 
So I can call it half empty or I can call it half filled. So looking at it one step, oh you give me half empty glass. My glass is half empty. That's one way of looking at it. Or half filled, that is another way of looking at it. It is just a change in standpoint. It's the same thing where you can look at from these two opposite standpoints. And so this is called Pratipakshabhana. It's not a make-believe thing. It's a fact that the glass is half empty. At the same time, the glass is half full. It's up to me how to look at it. And so also, no doubt, this person has advanced and he has done much more than what I do. And I can be jealous. You know why do I feel jealous? You know what that person who has gained more recognition than I have or I don't know, whatever it is I said that I value. If I value success in my career, then this fellow has advanced much more, you know, in career than I have. So when I see or these people or when I come in contact with the people who have accomplished more than I have, you know what happens? Why do I feel unhappy? That is because that person reminds me of my inadequacy. When I see him then, oh, his salary is $250,000 a year, mine is just 100000 So, when I hear, oh, but we were studying together. Yes, we were studying, we much smarter fellow, you know, and that's why he just made it like that. So, when I hear about him, or when I meet him, and when I know about him, then his accomplishment, in fact, makes me keenly aware of my inadequacy. It is not that he achieved something, but that I have failed to achieve something, because I am inadequate. And that is what makes me unhappy. The reason why that burning sensation arises in my heart when I see somebody better than me, is because that reminds me of my inadequacy. <coughs> so therefore, on account of looking at my inadequacy, if I am jealous, I can look at his adequacy and I can congratulate him. And so, the two stand the same. Both the one phenomenon can be looked upon from two opposite different standpoints. And I take, I look at, I ask my mind, all right, you see mine, just by being jealous of him, you are not going to be different from what you are. You are not going to be adequate anyway by being jealous of him and therefore, why don't you congratulate him? Why don't you learn something from him? Why don't you feel happy? So usually I feel unhappy when somebody is happy. Usually what happens? I feel happy when somebody is unhappy. When somebody fails, then I say, ah, that's what, that's good. When somebody slips, then I, that is the habit of the people sometimes. But then, rather than that, why not I, I, I feel happy? When enjoy somebody's progress, somebody's happiness. And thus this tendency of the mind has to be turned around. And this I do. Every time jealousy arises in my mind, then every time I remind my mind, mind, enjoy his accomplishment, be happy at his happiness. And if you one can learn something, learn something. Get some inspiration. Or if you cannot, doesn't matter, just bless him. Bless him that he should proceed further. Rather than being jealous, bless that person. So this is one example of what we call Pratipaksha Bhavana. A Bhavana or this spirit on my part which arises by taking the opposite standpoint. This jealousy is a thing that everybody suffers from in one measure or the other. Other thing that we often suffer from, you know, the Yoga Shastra says that every day, generally speaking, there are four kinds of people that we come across in our day-to-day -day life. 
people who are equal to us people who are not as good as us people who are better than us and people who are opposed to us four kinds of people people who are equal to us people who are not as good as us inferior to us or not as good as us people who are superior to us and the people who just hate us or dislike us or opposed to us and yoga shastra prescribes you know what kind of tendency we should entertain so when i come across people like me then my general response is how to get ahead of competing you know so when i am peop- i am in presence of people like me then the response generally is competing and then how to get better than him when i come across people who are better than me then jealousy arises when i come across people who are not as good as me then generally an aversion arises you know? and when i come across people who don't don't like me who hate me then usually a spirit of retaliation he doesn't like me i also retaliate by dislike him so this kind of things happen so during in our day to day activities also this kind of either competing tendency disliking tendency an aversion for somebody jealousy for somebody competing with somebody all of these are the, what we call the impurities of the mind because when these tendencies arise in our mind then the mind gets disturbed that is what we call stress that is what we call unhappiness and if you allow this tendency to build up then ultimately they will take hold of me i will find myself an unhappy person a sad person and then a depressed person if it builds up first i become unhappy allow it to build up become sadness allow it to build up becomes depression and so before all this thing happen i deal with them <clears throat> so yoga shastra says maitri karuna mudita upeksha maitri when you meet people like you then rather than competing with them maitri make friends with them let there be an affection for them let there be friendliness for them mudita when you come across people who are better than you more accomplished than you then rather than feeling jealous of them mudita be happy in their accomplishments congratulate them bless them be happy when you come across people who are not as good as you then rather looking down upon them be compassionate to them look at this fellow you know swami you are studying with me but where is he is not done anything in his life okay maybe he did not have the kind of advantages that you had he did not get the opportunity that you had he did not have the education that you had and that's the reason why he is not like you and therefore be compassionate be kind to them so is aversion kindness sometimes people don't behave properly their language is not right their clothes are not right their behavior is not right and then that creates in my mind an aversion rather than that have what we call kindness or compassion because as you said he does not have, he did not have the benefit of education that you had he did not have certain benefits that you had maybe you were born in a family where you had certain kind of upbringing which this person did not have and that's the reason why the person is what it is and therefore be kind or compassionate to the person and when you come across somebody who dislikes you rather than responding with a dislike rather than the attitude of retaliation just be indifferent upeksha okay leave him alone meaning that tolerance so when you come across people who do not like you 
then the usual response is, I don't like him. When somebody rejects me, usually I react by rejecting them. Here he says, tolerance. It's okay. There also can be that people may not like you. It's quite possible. Maybe they do not understand you. Maybe they do not know what you are. And that's the reason why they do not like you. They hate you. They dislike you. They are inimical to you. But then, tolerate that. Do not retaliate. So instead of retaliation, tolerance. Instead of jealousy, congratulations. Instead of competition, friendship. Instead of aversion, compassion. So, Maitri, Mudita, Karuna, Upeksha. Some of the examples of what we call the Pratipaksha Bhavana. And one of the other things also that we suffer from, many people suffer from, is, is what we call looking down upon one's own self, blaming myself. So when something does not get accomplished, then I have a tendency to blame. Either I blame somebody because this person is responsible because that, that's the reason why I could not accomplish, or I consider myself responsible. Either I blame somebody for my lack of accomplishment or I blame myself. And this business of blaming myself, looking down upon myself, self non-acceptance, self-condemnation is a very unhealthy thing. And everybody suffers from it in one major or the other, self non-acceptance. It is true that I am inadequate in myself and therefore I am not adequate, therefore I am not happy with myself. But sometimes this self-non-acceptance becomes very pronounced. What happens is that everybody has expectations from their own self. So not only we demand from other people as to what they should be, we also demand from ourselves what I should be. I have expectations from my own self. No, this I should be able to do, Swamiji, in the test, my score in the SAT must be this much. Or I must get admission in this particular school. Or my grade point average must be this. Or I must get a job in this business companies. Or having gotten a job, I must have this kind of salary. Whatever it is. Or I should be an honest person. I should be a loving person. I should be a kind person. These are the expectations. I have certain values which I value. I don't want to, I want to be a non-violent person, don't want to hurt somebody. But sometimes, inadvertently, I find myself hurting others. I do not want to use harsh words, but sometimes out of anger, I do find myself using harsh words. Meaning that, I find myself sometimes behaving in a manner which ultimately I do not approve. I later regret. And this sense of guilt arises in me. And when guilt piles up, then this sense of dislike arises in me. And then self-non-acceptance self and ultimately self-condemnation. So this guilt feeling, self-non-acceptance, self-condemnation, if you do not pay attention to that, then also they can destroy me. That also results into what we call sadness and depression. So we should be attentive to our own self. And this morning we talked about shama. We talked about forgiveness. When we show forgiveness to others, I think we should show forgiveness to our own self also. I should not expect myself to be perfect. I should not expect myself to be always able to, you know, accomplish what I, what I think I should accomplish. I should recognize that I am also a limited being. And therefore, I can also err. I can also commit a mistake. 
I mean, there are limitations in me also, and therefore, I should allow for the limitations sympathetically. <coughs> Not that it's a justification of limitation. I have a commitment to overcome my limitations, all right, but then, in that process, I do not dislike myself. I do not reject myself. May I stay away from this tendency to reject myself or to condemn myself, forgive myself, accept myself. As Swamiji says that, we should also learn to like our own self as, as we are, including all our limitations because nobody is created perfect. We have this personality consisting of body-mind complex and it is an incomplete personality. I mean, you know, it has a lot of virtues, at the same time it has limitations also. It has faults. My mind also has faults. And then I can be committed to overcome these faults as much as I can. At the same time, I must accept these faults or limitations also as a reality of life and be sympathetic to them. Okay, mind, don't condemn yourself. Oh, but why did I do that? Kimaham sadhuna karvam, kimaham pabam karvam, says Taitri Upanishad, that this kind of regret comes in me. Why did I fail? Why did I fail to do that good act? Why did I perform that evil act? So why did I do something that was not right? Or why did I fail to do something that was right? What this happens, you know? Sometimes I do something that's not right. And sometimes I don't have enough strength to do something that is right. I know, I wish that I could, you know, I have money in my pocket, I wish I could give it to that person. But somehow, you know, that generosity does not occur at that time. Later on I regret, I wish I had done that. I wish I had gone out of my way to help that person. But some of that time it doesn't happen. And later on I regret. So, this sense of regret, sense of guilt, this kind of thing arise, this also is an impurity of the mind. And we should not allow this to stay Otherwise, the guilt keeps on coming again and again, then I brand myself a guilty person. And then I lose my confidence and I become in, incapable of accomplishing anything. And therefore, overcoming or dealing with the sense of guilt also, or the sense of what we call self-non-acceptance. That I am alright as I am, that I have a limitation also. <clears throat> and sometimes what happens is, the demands from myself are so big that I cannot fulfill them. Sometimes we take vows, you know, this fellow is a Swamiji, today Ekadashi, I am going to stay hungry. This fellow eats five times a day and all of a sudden he takes a vow, I am going to observe fast today. And by the time afternoon comes and then, you know, all kinds of cats and dogs are, are, are you know, the sounds are there in his the stomach, he just cannot stand. And he finds that he had to eat something. So when we take these kind of vows, or make this kind of resolve, then we should recognize whether or not we really have the capacity to do that or not. Let us not impose this kind of very difficult thing upon ourselves. Oh, I am going to stand, I am going to meditate for one hour. Well, you are not able to sit for five minutes. How can you meditate for one hour? And so, when we take these kind of vows or the values also, I will never get angry. That's all right, but then, you know, it's, it's not that easy. Because anger does not seek your permission in before coming, it just comes. It's only after you get angry that you find out that I got angry. Therefore, it is impossible. This kind of vow can never be fulfilled, I will not get angry. Then I should understand what's the cause of anger. Anger comes because I make demands upon other people. Then I can take this vow that I will not make demands upon others. That's the doable thing. 
Because anger, since anger is not come, does not come willfully, therefore I cannot do anything about anger. I should understand that if I want to become free from anger, I should try to become free from the cause of the anger. And what causes anger is my expectations, my demands. And so I can say that I will not make demands upon other people. That is within my control. So as I said, whenever I impose this kind of requirements from me, when I have this kind of expectations from myself, I should consider whether or not I have the capacity to fulfill those expectations or not. And sometimes what happens is that even though I have a capacity, I just don't have alertness. Sometimes I'm not just there. My mind is wandering someplace and therefore when the time came to do something, my mind was not there. And so even though I had resolved yesterday, I would observe fast tomorrow. But then by habit in the morning, so as soon as you finish your shower and thing, the first thing is to eat breakfast and therefore... And but you see, if somebody is serving you breakfast and they'll remind you that Swamiji, today you have to observe fast, you know. But when I'm serving myself, but you remind this happens, you know. So they don't, they, they don't sit down and eat breakfast, they open the cupboard and put something in the mouth and do something like that, you know. And so the first thing that happens is put something in my mouth. Then I realize, hey, I was supposed to eat only once a day. So that, that becomes a meal, you know, this is all. <laughs> so sometimes lack of alertness also is the reason why I am not able to fulfill my commitments or not able to follow my values. And so I should understand what is the reason why I am not able to measure up to my own expectations. This problem of not being able to measure up to my own expectation because I have expectation of my own self. And this is a big problem. And so, let me understand what the expectations are. Let me recognize whether or not I have the capacity to fulfill those expectations. Let me understand how the expectations can be met with. So let there be proper attention, let there be proper understanding, and then I judge myself. I always judge myself. People who judge others, they also judge themselves. And so, before I judge myself, let me have this proper data before I judge myself. And that is how this, what we call the tendency to look down upon myself or tendency to reject myself, tendency to condemn myself also is one of the important impurities of the mind and we should be careful about that as well. So this is what is meant by saucham. Saucham means a cleanliness external as well as cleanliness of the mind. And external cleanliness is relatively easy. But internal cleanliness requires a constant alertness. It is not that I do it sometimes, Swamiji, if I do it about 10 minutes a day, it's okay. No. This is a process that goes on constantly. It's a good idea to set aside 10 or 20 minutes in the evening so that we can go over the important events of the day and we can see when I was successful in practicing the value and when I was not able to do that, I can review that. And I can use those experiences to educate my mind as to when a similar thing happens again, what should I do? Swamiji, I got angry ten times today, okay. Then in the evening I look at this and I see what was the cause of the anger, where was the demand? And I ask my mind, can you drop this demand? Can you drop these expectations? So this introspection is very helpful. Introspection is very helpful. Maybe 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the evening. In 10 minutes in the morning I can spend to tell my mind how I should conduct myself today. 
Look, mind, that fellow is going to come today, and therefore, be prepared. Look, my boss is likely to say this, be prepared. The spouse is likely to say this, be prepared. Children may do this, be prepared. The neighbor may act like this, be prepared. Whatever. The traffic can be like this, be prepared. So wherever there are possibilities of the mind reacting, I prepare my mind so that when that event happens, the mind will be able to deal with it. And in the evening again I spend some time to see whether or not this thing worked and I educate my mind as to how to do it next time. So introspection also becomes very important until we are, we become introspective constantly. Constantly I, I make notes of the tendencies arising in my mind and I keep on dissolving them. So this is the shaucham, what we call the cleanliness of the mind, an extremely important value. <coughs> Okay. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyate Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutau Vande Bhagavantau Punaf Punah Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Veda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye